right back with our Indiana Jones special part two. Part two of part two, I should say. Um, we're going to get right going here because, uh, unfortunately, we're going to talk about our least favorite Indiana adaptation, which means, for some reason, boring Indiana Jones and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Somehow that thing is going to dominate the Indiana Jones special. But hey, as we sort of talked about, it's fun to talk about anyway. My pick for my least favorite Indiana Jones adaptation is not Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It's Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings for the PSP in 2009. I should have known something was up just by looking at the cover for that game in which Indy is way out of proportion. Indy just looks weird. Matt, have you ever seen the cover of this game? I'm looking it up as we speak, and uh, Indiana Jones is played by the part of Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. You know, oversized myths that he's got there. Whatever was going on in the art department that day, uh, Indiana Jones was done no favors. For its time, though the game looked really good on the PSP, but the controls were inexcusably bad. I would count myself a pretty hardcore gamer during this time. I would have been willing to forgive a lot of flaws to play a good-looking Indiana Jones game, but it was unplayable. It's my understanding that the experience was slightly better on the Wii, but it was far too late. I was heartbroken. A sea of bad reviews less than a year out from Crystal Skull sunk indie until right about now-ish. Um... I'm unaware of any major comic game or other media release since that time. So the last two times we saw Indy on movie or video game screens, they were the least well-received of each version. And with Indiana Jones being a character in video games that you kind of just want to be, uh, that was a major, major letdown. And the build-up was great because they said they had invented a fighting system to make it feel like Indiana Jones did in the movies. Uh, Matt. Your least favorite Indiana Jones adaptation. Well, if you listen to our previous episode, uh, part one of two parts uh, about Indiana Jones, it should come as no shock that my choice is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, just what a, you know what, I, I, I don't understand it. So I'm, my life is very busy at home as, as much as it is for, for you guys as well. But uh, I can't sit down and really spend two hours watching a movie in consecutive hours, right? So I kind of have to split movies up either into into halves or into thirds. And so I watched this movie in two halves and watched the first, this was the, this week is the first time I'd actually seen it. So I watched one half of it and I was like, I don't understand what all the fuss is about. I don't understand why this doesn't have a good score. I don't understand why people were so like quick to crap on this film other than simply it's just every once in a while fun to collectively, apparently just crap on people's artistic efforts. Um, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, there's a couple of parts in it that where I was like, eh, it's a little bit hard to defend. In the previous episode, I mentioned the refrigerator. That was a little bit silly. Uh, but there are some really amazing parts about it. And But the second half of the movie, I had to watch on its own. And, and I don't think that if there had been any continuity, I don't think me being able to sit down and watch it entirely would have made a lick of difference on it. I think that second half is just almost like I'm in a different film. And it's almost as if somebody gave the camera over to somebody else other than Steven Spielberg. Visually, it's it's good until they get to kind of the CGI-driven parts. That that's always kind of like ruins it for Indiana Jones movies. But there are just so many confusing decisions that get made throughout the second half of that movie, where it's like, this is not fun. Like I know they're trying, they're trying so hard, and I and I, I applaud their efforts. Uh, but boy, they just simply missed the mark, and it's just not a good movie. And since I'm primarily just going to be movie focused and never played the video games or read any comic books or, or watch the TV shows. I can only really rely on these films, and, and it's just not good. I found that the second unit directors were Abrams and Zucker, so that does make a lot of sense. Fair enough. 
So I wish I'd have known that was your first time seeing it, and I wish you like, hey, after the first hour, like, hey, this isn't so bad. I'm like, oh, don't go watch the rest of it. Just stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Who cares? Well, I'm gonna live forever. It doesn't matter. But, and then we'd get to our favorite screen adaptation, and I'd be like, "It's Kingdom of the Crystal Skull." What's all the fuss about? <laughs> there you go, Matt. There you go. We have audio proof now. Yep, yep, oh, exactly. son of a biscuit! I did give him. You heard it here, folks. All right, right up there with Darren's love of the Last Jedi, right? Oh my god! Right. I believe there are <laughs> there are hours now of video evidence that can prove that's not the case. It's not the case. Nope. <laughs> All right, my least favorite adaptation, if anyone cares, I um, is also not Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, while that was not probably my least favorite of the movies, there was a thing called the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. And the reason that this is my least favorite adaptation is because I had absolutely zero interest in watching this. Any Indiana Jones movie, and again, this is not one of my top top properties, but anytime there's an indie movie, I feel the need to see it in the theater. You know, it's sort of, I don't want to say a rite of passage, it's just something you have to do. I don't know if it's like, you know, keep my nerd card up to date or whatever. But here comes this TV series, and I had, like I said, zero interest in watching it. Um, So... It is my least favorite because it, I I just didn't care. So. Oh, well. Did well, anyone else watch it? I watched it. Yeah. I mean, it. I watched the first couple of episodes and I enjoyed it. But then I, I guess it, it bounced around a lot. And they had, it's funny, they had a, a character in there that was old Indiana Jones. I, he was supposed to be in his 90s. Um, and... He, he framed the beginning and the end of telling the story of um, what it, what was happening in the episode. And he had an eye patch. So somewhere along the way, Indiana Jones got in a real bad scrape, right? Um, but they removed, they took him out of all of the, the, the episodes when I finally got around to seeing it again. Uh, most of the episodes I remember were, were eight-year-old indie instead of like 21-year-old indie. And... Um, I, just, I liked it, but you could never find it. I thought it was good. I and mean, it gets pretty good reviews. I wanted to go back and watch mm. it, but it's on Disney Plus now, I think. You know, I, I was thinking since, you know, we've had, had time to let this uh, marinate. I think the reason that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull didn't sit so well with me other than the whole uh, way it ended is that Atlantis is still out there, and they chose to do that instead. Well, we are going to talk about that. In just a little while, and you're right, that sucker's still sitting out there. But we're going to talk about now, okay, as our favorite Indiana Jones moment. Um, wait a minute, am I on the wrong one? Favorite Indiana Jones screen adaptation. Excuse me. There you go. Um, now here are my my uh, this this one. This is so. Uh, this feels like really simple, right? Uh, my number three is Temple of Doom, and I do. There was a time where this was my number one, and when I was in high school. Uh, Gary and I, we, we had a lot of mileage out of this movie for some reason. Um, my number two is Last Crusade. Uh, Dr. Jones, no time for love. <laughs> yeah, and what a great moment that was. By, by the way, I, I think I said this in one other podcast, for those keeping score, 
that short round, one Oscar. Indiana Jones, zero Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't get that. Oh, no, he lost the Golden Idol at the beginning. Never mind. Um, and uh, <laughs> they, they both have an equal amount of equal amount of nominations, too, from what I understand. Um, <clears throat> last Crusade, and you, you did such a great job summarizing that in the last episode with uh, his father. And my favorite scene from that movie is when Indiana Jones swings in through the window in that castle. And he gets hit over the head by the vase by um, uh, Sean Connery's uh, Henry Jones Sr. And he says, I thought you were one of them. And he goes, they come in through the doors, Dad. (laughs) Oh, good point. (laughs) Um, So that also, that movie also gave me, almost gave me one of my shining moments as a college student as I decided to go as Indiana Jones for Halloween downtown Kent State University and there was a guy who was getting booed vociferously because he was dressed as a Nazi and he was goose stepping down Main Street and it just so happens uh, I run into this guy and all of a sudden people are like oh Indiana Jones is going to kick your ass and I'm like oh crap (coughs) and then the guy's like you want to do something and I'm like yeah because I'm thinking there is everyone looking at you there's nothing that's going to happen to me and he goes or excuse me, I probably shouldn't have said that. Hey, goose steps down the street. Um, yeah, well, there goes our parental rating. And he goes goose stepping down the street. And I'm like, oh, man. I guess I, oh, well. <laughs> um, so, Last Crusade, just such a fun movie. So many great moments in that movie. I love the gauntlet at the end. That is a great, that's probably the best set piece since Raiders. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's someone's number one, but let's move on. Yeah, mine actually, man, number three is definitely going to be Temple of Doom for me. Um, and it is always a toss up as to which Indiana Jones movie I like better. Uh, if it's Last Crusade or if it is Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I, I'm afraid after our conversation, like I think you guys might have swayed me a little bit because we were talking about quite a few different aspects of of industrialized mass, magic and, and practical effects. I'm going to have to go Last Crusade as number two. So uh, my honorable mentions remain the same as Darren's. Uh, number three is is Temple of Doom. I loved it, but at the same time, just not as good as the other two. And that's saying something because it's still a really good movie. Yeah, it is. Uh, number two is going to be Last Crusade. But, man, if you ask me on a different day or if I had just seen it, I could easily see it being my number one. But, yeah, those are my honorable mentions right now. Carrie? Mm. Well, my uh, my three and two. I'm going to have to uh, enter number three with Last Crusade. Um, again, nothing wrong with the film. Just uh, I think I enjoyed the others better. It may had something to do with my age and place in life at the time, or maybe my my imagination wasn't as crisp as it was when I was younger at the time. I don't know. Just I, I do have to say, I think my favorite scene: um, Indy and his dad are tied up, being held hostage, and the one uh, sultry German Fraulein is basically just sort of mentioning about you know how wonderful it was spending time with with dr jones and they both replied thank you or something to that effect basically kind of you know it's like yeah we both uh you know uh, i think the, I think the term is eskimo brothers if i'm not mistaken the great the great line in there 
was where Indiana Jones says, you ought to be embarrassed. You're old enough to be her father, her grandfather. And he says, I'm as human as the next man. And he goes, I was the next man. <laughs> yeah, that, that scene right there. <laughs> it's All such right. a great scene. <laughs> and then my uh, number two, uh, Temple of Doom. Um, again, uh, it, it, it's, it's, I would say like picking your favorite child, but, um, I, I, I think the reason this one finishes second is because there were a few of those detractions that I mentioned in the last episode. Um, again, the, uh, dinner scene being one of them, <laughs> but yeah, no, just, uh, you know, ask me on a different day, maybe a couple drinks of me, I give you a different answer, but right now Temple of Doom is my number two. Well, let's just get right to it, because uh, I believe maybe for the first time in this podcast history, or one of the only times, we have a universal number one, I assume, unless someone's going to throw the Atari 2600 game in here somehow as their favorite screen adaptation, but Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, normally I would uh, spend some time devoting to writing my thoughts down to make sure I'm clear and concise, but what else can you say about this movie it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's one of the most famous movies ever made. It jump-started an entire Hollywood cottage industry of the next great adventure. No one since has been able to surpass this. Um, you're talking about the uh, the perfect storm of great movie making from the director to the writing to the cinematography to the actors. It just, everything about it works. And I'm not one of those guys that believes in the jokey uh reevaluation that indiana jones somehow makes things worse uh in the plot that he's inessential to the plot of the movie i'm sure you guys have been down that road i I, I mean it's funny but it it doesn't it's just the 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 everything from the movie poster to the look of the movie is one of those things that um i think if you're in a movie theater and you see that poster and you walk over to it and you're like i don't know what this is but i'm gonna see it um, it's just, I, I can make a case and I, I've many times in this podcast, my favorite movie of all time. I'm sure you guys know what it is, right? Superman, Superman, the movie, but I could make a case that, I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark has spent time at number one. Um, it's kind of like, you know, the NCAA uh, postseason rankings most weeks at number one. Superman's number one because it spent most weeks at number most years at number one. But Raiders has been my favorite movie of all time at times, and it burned brightly. Oh yeah, and I just, I mean, I didn't know you could do this twice in a lifetime. Where my life changed when I saw Star Wars. I didn't know a movie can grab you like that. Enough, another movie could grab you like that, and Raiders of the Lost Ark did. And I mentioned, I think it was the last episode where a while back, we, many years ago on the podcast, we decided to do a list, a short list of our favorite characters that weren't in within the comic book realm. And somehow Indiana Jones, who should have been my number one, was not on the list. Since that time, I have gone back in Indiana Jones and I've like, I've searched for like the comics and I've. I've played a couple of games that I shouldn't have played many years ago before CJ was born. And it's just, I remembered how much I love it. And I still feel bad. Like, I can't believe I forgot about Indiana Jones. And when Tim said my number one is Indiana Jones, it was like, 
my stomach dropped. And I went, oh my God. But it's indicative of how, like, he sort of disappeared for a while. Um, But I don't know. I want to let you guys take over because I'm assuming that we're all having the number one here. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Matt, what do you got for us? Oh, it's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's the exact same thing. I mean, all the reasons that you listed. And I know we talked a little bit about uh, Gary discussed that being one of his favorite ending moments or his favorite ending moment, right, Gary? The, at the very end when the faces melt away. I mean, it's such a it's such an important scene. And and I alluded to there being a documentary on Disney Plus that kind of discussed how they did some of that stuff. And the, the name of the, uh, the documentary that I couldn't think of about Industrial Lights and Magic was actually just called Lights and Magic. Um, so I recommend you guys check that out. It's a six-part documentary series, and well, I'm watching on it. one of the episodes they discuss it, and it's it's uh, it's really fascinating to me. I don't know. I mean, that late seventies, early eighties kind of movie making is sort of I don't know. I I don't know. Just I loved it on the poster as I was kind of preparing for this. They say on uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark it says the return of the great adventure, and to me it was just like I don't know. It's a, such a good time for movies, especially with practical effects and and just. Good storytelling, and there's so many classic movies from that particular time period, you know, the mid to late 70s, and, and actually all throughout the 70s, but definitely during that mid to late 70s. And then, you know, the, just the idea of a blockbuster kind of coming along there. And I just, I was, I love that movie. I will always love that movie. It's a kind of warm blanket on a cold day. Oh. So, yeah. Because I, I actually watched it last time when I was six. That's the, you haven't seen it since you were six? No, no, sorry. I said the last time I watched it was when I was sick in bed and I couldn't oh, do anything. Oh, sick. Like, I'm just going to pull up Rages of the Lost Ark because it's just fun. It reminds me of being a kid. Oh, yeah. Well, Gary. my favorite screen ad- adaptation is also Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, I didn't realize this until I looked at my list that my top three favorite indie moments that we discussed in the last episode were all from Raiders. Uh, the Nazis opening the Ark, the Golden Idol boulder scene, and the... Uh, Harrison Ford uh, has dysentery with the uh, shooting the swordsman <laughs> with his gun. Um, yeah, no, it was just like we discussed, you know, the opening scene set the tone for the entire franchise. Like that's who this guy is. And it, it was what, what, what's the uh, the often uh, used phrase about, you know, takes off at a lightning pace and never stops oh, to slow down or something starts like that. Starts at a gallop the... and never stops to catch its breath. That's it. Yes. That is that movie. It, there is, there is not, I, I, I think you, you, you took a rest when Indy took a rest. You know, when, when Indy was distraught, you were distraught. When he was in a rush, your heart was popping. You know, it was, you, you were there with him for most of that film. It was, if you have not seen it, go watch it now. I don't care how old you are, what you think, you know, go watch that movie right now. <sighs> Come back and check with us then. I had a couple of students a while back. And I, 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 are you like me where even now you just assume people have seen these movies like Star Wars, yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark and all that. And when you find out someone hasn't, you're like, you have been, you suffered child abuse. <laughs> you're like, this, your parents did this wrong. You can uh, do that? You know, like, they- I didn't know you were allowed to grow up. But it's funny, like. Um, no uh, wonder you guys are so nervous. I did have, I was, I didn't want to show this to a couple of students around the holidays. We'd have a movie day and I found out like some of the students I, you know, I had formed a relationship with, um, had never even heard of it. And I'm like, okay, it's one thing to not have seen it, but you don't, 
you've never heard of Indiana Jones? And then I, and then I, now when you you listen to this podcast, we find out like kind of died after two thousand nine. And you okay, so maybe you really haven't. And I didn't want to show it to him because I feel as though so much of what they have seen as all it's done is copied Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's been so much of it out there. And so they finally, they convinced me, like, let's sit down and watch it. And they were transfixed. And at the end, they're like, how am I just now discovering this? Um, and they were like, well, which ones, are, how many more are there out there? I'm like, there's two more. Uh, <laughs> but it's such, it is. We, we, we don't talk about this. You know, it's in the National Registry of American Classics, as well it should be. It's, I think it's a top 20 movie of all time. And if you go by the 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 uh, uh, adjusted score, it's 21 in terms of most, most tickets sold. I think that's one of those movies that comes out in 1981, and it, it's still, people are talking about it, all the way until Temple of Dew comes out in 84, right? I mean, you're looking for that experience again. You're trying to find it. And if you haven't seen it, you have to go see, you have to check out the movie Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film ever made. Have you ever heard of this? Mm-hmm. It's about a group of kids who decided the summer of 81 that they wanted to do a remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And they spent like the next 10 summers shooting scenes from this movie until they all go to college. And then... Um, they ended up like coming back together like uh, several you know years later after they got back from college and they decided to edit the movie together and put it together and the stuff that these kids tried to do was so ambitious. Um, there's one scene where they they found a uh, some farmer's truck and they dragged a kid behind it who was playing right over here Indiana Jones and like and they're like all I did was like I put cardboard in my shirt which wasn't enough and. <laughs> So they, what ends up happening is they they play they edited it together and they put it in film festivals and it starts getting standing ovations, to the point where they get funded on Kickstarter to go shoot the final scene, which is the plane scene, because they're like we could never figure out how to pull that one off. Um, it's called Raiders: The Story of the Greatest Fan Film Ever Made. It's the second greatest Raiders of the Lost Ark movie of all time. Um, <laughs> but the Lost Ark, I just wonder. The Lost Ark. Is it the greatest actual um, MacGuffin or artifact that Indiana Jones could could ever go after? Do you, Can you think of any other mythical object or mythical or some sort of legend that you'd want Indiana Jones to see if he could figure out if this thing existed, where it is, what it is? Anyone? Man, I wish this wasn't an all-ages podcast because I have an answer for that. <laughs> well, I already may have killed that rating. No. <laughs> I, I I could think of somewhere that would be interesting if you try to find. I don't know if that's what you want me to lead you into. I'm hoping someone will. I don't know. Atlantis would be awesome. Atlanta, site of the 1996 Olympics? I know where that is. Yes. Um, oh, well. All right, so uh, the retroactive view of tonight, not surprising, Indiana Jones related. It's Indiana Jones and the fate of Atlantis. Um, now, guys, feel free to jump in whenever here. Um uh, Truth be told, I had written this with the thought that Phil and Tim, or excuse me, I actually have a quote from Tim. Wow. Um, well, I do have a quote from him because he and I bonded over this game. But um, Phil and uh, Mark would be here 
unfortunately they're unable to be here so I, I just go ahead and if you need to jump in here and ask some questions feel free to jump in whatever you ready for this Y'all ready for this? Oh, oh, oh. It's like, that's the strangest version of the Indiana Jones theme I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> it would those, be, yes. Yeah, for those of us whose anxiety over Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny grows alongside the rising tide of negative reviews, appropriately, there is hope calling out from the past. I maintain Ooh. my stance. I only need Dial of Destiny to be the fourth best Indiana Jones movie. But having just revisited Crystal Skull and never thinking it was as bad as the zeitgeist would have us believe, danger is afoot. For more on my thoughts of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, uh, I don't know, ask Matt. Um, the year is 1991. Indiana Jones and the... What's that? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was still in our rearview mirrors with Indian friends having ridden off toward the sunset... In 1989, we were all wishing for a fourth Indiana Jones movie. While Last Crusade seems like the perfect ending now, principals Ford, Lucas, and Spielberg were non-committal on the potential of a fourth. It was good enough, as it always is in these arenas, for us to presume it would happen, and it did, for better or worse, more than a decade and a half later. Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis is a 1991 Dark Horse comic miniseries and a 1992 LucasArts point-and-click adventure game that grew the legend of Indiana Jones in a time period in which it was thought there would be no further Indiana Jones movies. The concept behind Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis... Um, sorry, I lost my place. The concept behind Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis was as close as we were going to get to a fourth indie movie. It was most things but a movie. With even a soundtrack for the game eventually seeing a release. LucasArts would follow this model four years later with the multimedia release of Star Wars Shadows of the Empire, which saw a novel, comic series, full orchestrated score, video game, and even action figures and micro-machines. Truly everything that a uh, would accompany a wide Star Wars movie release without a movie. For more on Shadows of the Empire, check out the Panel Scanners episode number 118, in which Phil, Matt, and myself retro the Shadows of the Empire game development and the comic. This was a pioneering era in the video gaming and an important period in comics as well. With no fourth movie on the horizon, prime Indiana Jones was now relegated to both mediums. LucasArts was emerging as a force in the video game industry as the industry had just pulled itself out of the crash of the mid-1980s. Indiana Jones's momentum would have to carry LucasArts forward. My time spent researching Fate of Atlantis led me down more than a few interesting rabbit holes with LucasArts and Lucasfilm that I intend uncovering at some point along our journey, though we did briefly touch on this history back in 2019. For more on this period of Lucasfilm and LucasArts' collective prosperity, check out the Panel Scanners episode number 91, in which Phil, Tim, and I celebrate, celebrate, observe the 20-year anniversary of Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, its release in theaters, the build-up, and the fallout. The multimedia aspect of the prequel's False Dawn was partly built on top of the foundation laid by Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis eight years prior. 
That is the long version, which I detail some history of LucasArts alongside the building anticipation of more Star Wars. For those who prefer uh, the short version of my take on the Star Wars prequel trilogy... Although the comic precedes the game by a full calendar year, Fate of Atlantis began development as a video game. Hal Barwood, a film writer and producer on George Lucas's THX 1138, Steven Spielberg's and Steven Spielberg's Sugarland Express, and Noah Falstein, a game designer who worked on such games as Joust and Sinistar, were brought on board to lead the project. During the game's infancy, it was actually intended to be based on a script written by director Christopher Columbus, who you'll recognize as the director of Home Alone, Mrs. Doubtfire, and the first two Harry Potter movies. Columbus had written a script for the third Indiana Jones movie, which was rejected in favor of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Thank God. The script... That's probably a good move. Yeah. yeah. The script, which was either entitled Indiana Jones and the Monkey King or Indiana Jones and the Garden of Life, was to be resurrected, serving as a template for the new indie game. Along this development path, it was decided to ditch the script by Columbus as the team wanted something far grander for Indy to pursue. Instead of simple artifacts, there were in the Columbus script. Quickly, the fabled Sword of Excalibur was considered as among the most mythical artifacts and would carry an immediate recognition, as Gary just illustrated. Uh, the main drawback would be that the pursuit of Excalibur would give Indiana Jones little reason to adventure outside of England, globetrotting being among the hallmarks of an Indiana Jones adventure. The Lost City of Atlantis was a legend that immediately appealed to the team as it seemed grand enough for Indiana Jones to pursue. From my perspective, I like it because it differs from the previous three movies that feature a single MacGuffin or artifact. Atlantis is an entire city, a region. It felt more important than even the Ark of the Covenant. The legend also remains a mystery, as theologians and even scholars such as Plato have written of Atlantis as if it truly existed. The story begins in May of 1939, which places Fate of Atlantis after the three original movies and about a year after Last Crusade. As the world inches closer to World War II, a German double agent visits Indiana Jones at his Barnett College office, presenting him with an artifact, a key. He claims that Barnett College is in possession of an artifact that the key is intended for. Indy locates the artifact from one of his previous expeditions, the Jastro Expedition. They unlock the artifact, which contains a small bead, which is central to the story. Enter Sophia Hapgood. Sophia is a former archaeological student. She studied and went on expeditions with Indy. She possesses a crucial Atlantean artifact, though is, and she is playing off the fact that she believes it's Atlantean. She claims she can speak to an Atlantean spirit, spirit through this artifact, and she is a major player, and longtime Indy fans place her only second to Marion Ravenwood as Indy's chief love interest. As the player, you take the role of... Everybody? Marion Ravenwood. Indiana Jones. Oh. Marcus Brody. Um, the game was very akin to those choose-your-own-adventure books that were very popular in the 1970s and 1980s. The player would read or hear dialogue and use the mouse cursor to explore an on-screen diorama. 
The environment contained clues and artifacts designed to influence the player's decision on how to proceed. The player would collect and combine artifacts to solve puzzles and advance the story alongside choices and dialogue, which would, in turn, influence the game's direction. Fate of Atlantis was built on the script creation utility for Maniac Mansion, or SCUM, scripting language designed to support the 1987 Commodore 64 game Maniac Mansion. Other notable LucasArts games to use SCUM include the Monkey Island series, Day of the Tentacle, Full Throttle, Sam and Max Hit the Road, and Grim Fandango. These games were often loaded with references to other games, Easter eggs galore, and a very unique brand of humor. Each of these games were big sellers in the early PC gaming market and are considered enduring classics. Fate of Atlantis was no exception. Through all of the review sites, both retro and contemporary, I saw nothing below an 88% for Fate of Atlantis. For a lot of us, it moved the video game industry forward with a savory narrative, beautiful animation, and on-point voiceover work. Simple platforms would no longer suffice as one element of the game offered what many, almost all consoles didn't. Player choice that would dramatically influence how the game would proceed. For these reasons, Fate of Atlantis was considered groundbreaking as the player was given the option to proceed along three divergent paths. The Fists, Wits, and Team Paths. The Fists path is the most action-oriented. The Wits path contains the most puzzles, the team path pairs Indy with Sophia Hapgood and is a mixture of both the Fists and Wits path. It is here that Sophia gains the notori- her notoriety in indie lore. Now, I don't recall which path I chose when I played the game back during its first release. I chose the team path for this review, wanting to do for so for several years and figuring the best time to do this would be the lead into what we presume is the final chapter in the Indiana Jones film series. Fate of Atlantis was among the first in another arena as it featured a full voice cast throughout the entire game. Now, I did... I'm assuming neither one of you have played this. Um, no. There was, I think the game initially came out without voiceover from what I was able to gather, but I played it as it had the voiceover, and the voiceover was seamless. Doug Lee, who has done extensive voiceover work in video games, provided the vocals for Indy. Lee was called upon to voice Indy in other games, making him among the few that have logged significant time portraying an adult or prime Indiana Jones other than Harrison Ford and his stunt doubles. Perhaps those occupying the role for Disney World's Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular could, could be considered as well. Many among the rest of the voice cast have acquired numerous voiceover credits and include Denny Delk, David Gitton, Jane Jacobs as Sophia Hapgood, Nick Jameson, Joe Paulino, and David Trailer. Playing the game now with that voice cast is so much, it's so enjoyable, so fun. Fate of Atlantis has endured and probably remains the best Indiana Jones game to date. For those of us who waited patiently, then were left horribly disappointed by Indiana Jones and the staff of Kings, our pocketbooks weren't too damaged, as Fate of Atlantis was included as an unlockable, reviving popularity in the game of 2009. It's kind of like the developers knew they had a big turd on their hands. So they're like, we better give them something. <clears throat> Fate of Atlantis hit Steam in 2009 as well and has gone to gone on to sell over 67,000 copies, proving the viability of its staying power. The game is beautiful. 
Graphically, I remember it feeling superior to anything I was playing on Super Nintendo. I find some of the animation and sound effects to be extremely charming. In fact, the best way to describe this game, it's charming. The game feels like a warm, nostalgic blanket. The game and Dark Horse comic of the same name travel parallel lines, but there are many differences with subplots and character appearances. I can't say for sure, as I did not play the Fists or Wits paths, but Indy's Barnett College Dean and fan favorite from Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Last Crusade, Marcus Brody, appears in the comic with a very significant role, but he does not appear in the game. Side note, uh, in the comic, Marcus Brody in the first few pages really looks like Richard Nixon. Um, far more than actor Denholm Elliott, the actor that portrayed him in Raiders of the Crusade. I was really confused at first. I'm like, is Indy talking to a young Richard Nixon? The story of the game by Hal Bar the story of the game is by Hal Barwood and Noah Falstein. That story was adapted for Dark Horse Comics by William Mesner Loeb's, who worked on Wonder Woman and The Flash for DC, and won awards for ad adapting Johnny Quest back in the 1990s. The pencils were by Dan Barry, who was among the group of pioneering comic book creators in the 1940s. He started with Airboy, Doc Savage, and Blue Bolt Comics, worked for Marvel on The Amazing Spider-Man back in 86 and 87, and had a cup of coffee drawing the Daily Spider-Man newspaper strip. His final work was illustrating in Indiana Jones and Predator comics for Dark Horse before, before passing away in 1997. He was a wonderful artist who maintained his quality in his later years. He had such great detailed depictions of the locations and artifacts in Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Other work um, on the comic, inks were by Carl Kessel, color by Laroon Haynes, Cover art by Dave Dorman, who does an admirable job capturing the Drew Struzan movie poster feel for his work on those covers. The comic is as wonderful as the game, you guys. Save for a few lines of dialogue that don't feel indie-like, it is a terrific companion to the game. It fills in some of the blanks left by the point-and-click adventure. Most importantly, the game's puzzles can halt the momentum of the story. This is not an issue with the comic. It feels more cinematic. You can see and hear the movie in your head. Back to the game, and speaking of the puzzles, I defy anyone to beat this game without the help of the hint book, which was included, ah, for big reasons, with the game. Uh, or some sort of online help today. I will greet dubiously anyone who claims to have finished Fate of Atlantis without some help. I don't recall how far I made it through Fate of Atlantis the first time. I played it back in the early 90s when it came out. But I know I didn't finish the game as I reached a point where I could not figure out how to proceed, even with the hint book. It remains a very challenging experience for even seasoned gamers. But even now, it may fall within my top 10 video games of those I have played before or since. Our old buddy Tim and I bonded over love of this game. He agrees with me on the level of challenge Fate of Atlantis provided. I asked him if he used the hint books and he states... Maybe for a few things, most of the time I would play, get stuck, and then get angry and rage quit. Then, usually the next day, I would figure it out or luck into selecting the correct pixel. If that didn't work, I went up to Walden Books. Remember those? No, Tim, no one remembers those. No one's old as you are. Uh, I looked it up trying to say, try to have, to have the self-control not to look ahead. Tim continues. Some of those puzzles were downright impossible. Some of those early LucasArts games had some really random stuff in them. Well, 
credit to you, my friend, because you made it farther than I did. He actually did uh, finish the game at one point. Even with the hints, if you finish Fate of Atlantis, it would be among your greatest video game achievements. It's that challenging. It's one of those things, I don't know if you guys have ever had this, you want to go back and play a game that you played many, many years ago that you found challenging, and you're sort of going into it going, I'm a sophisticated gamer now, there's no way this is going to challenge me. And then you're like, within five minutes you're like, how, how did I do any of this? With the, oh, yeah. with the widely perceived failures, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, yeah, yeah, if you finish this game, you, it was an achievement. The comic and the game are wonderful companion key pieces, they weave a brilliant adventure that is as absorbing today as it was 30 years ago, with the widely perceived failure of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and the increasingly negative reviews that as I sit here on June 8th in 2023... Dial of Destiny is collecting. Ah, uh, might be time to revisit Fate of Atlantis. If you're not into the game, pick up the comic. If you're not into the comic, pick up the game. Because if you're even the most casual indie fan, at least one, you have one of the two is a required experience. I only hope that the next chapter of Indiana Jones can capture a morsel of what players and readers were privileged to with Fate of Atlantis. We know that Bethesda has long been in development of a new indie game, and a Disney Plus TV series is or is not happening, depending on what day it is. Yep. Marvel has yet to produce any Indiana Jones comics since acquiring Lucasfilm's library over 10 years ago. So I hope the new custodians uh, consult Fate of Atlantis as it manages to maintain the spirit of Indiana Jones in a 16-bit world. For so many of us, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis was the fourth Indiana Jones movie. The blueprint for more indie is right there. I love Indiana Jones. Always will. He is top five in my favorite characters of all time and has spent time at number one. The original three movies are among my most treasured childhood memories. Fate of Atlantis did more than keep the fires burning for indie. It enhanced the legend. Very nice. Nice. I, I do have a couple questions. Now, now you mentioned about the hint book. So let's say you, you were just bound and determined not to look at the hint book. Oh, I was never you, bound and determined not to look at the hint book. If you read the comic series, did it give you any unintentional hints to help you through the game? No. Um, I don't think so at all. Uh, the comic book, as I stated, came out a year before the game. But the game, but right. it, the whole thing began as a development for the game. Um, Marcus Brody... And I can't say for sure, but I'm almost positive Marcus Brody and uh, Indy's initial companion, which is one of his students, a football player, one of his students, are in the comic book, and they're not in the game at all. Um, now, the, the pursuit of Atlantis and how they arrived there, there are some similarities. But I see what you're saying. It would have been a really good idea to try and cross-promote these. Like, if you read the comic, the only way you're going to be able to get the answer to something here is if you have the comic but that that didn't happen um i i i don't see having played played and read simultaneously i don't see how the comic would have assisted you at all okay the reason i'm asking with uh horizon forbidden west now there, there's very little time between the start of forbidden west and the ending of zero dawn but there was a couple issue comic series that kind of bridged that gap 
and they also introduced a few of the new machines you were going to face and kind of told you like where their weak spots were going to be. So it wasn't exactly like it was a puzzle or anything like that, but it kind of gave you a little, I don't want to say a little advantage going into the game because you had some exposure to what you were going to run into. Um, so I didn't know if it was kind of the same deal. Like the, the comic was going to give you a little more knowledge going in than you would have had otherwise. I'd say you could probably read the comics in about all four issues, probably about 60 to 70 minutes. Um, and the game, I don't even want to start. I mean, there's so much in the game, like, cause you're going to these different locales, you're interacting with different characters and the line of dialogue you speak could send you off on a different path. So, um, yeah, it just—I don't think there was any connection to the did, two. Did other the comic than, follow one of those three paths that you mentioned about you know? It was the, the team or... path with That's Sophia. Right, you didn't say that. Yeah, okay, with I'm Sophia, sorry. and that was what I mean. The wits path—he does hook back up with Sophia at some point. And the fist path mm-hmm. is he just goes off on his own. All right. See, I actually—I wasn't even aware that a game existed. I mean, oh, uh, you were. I had some—I had a down period for a while there, as far as my gaming goes. And I think it kind of fell into that range. You were because you actually played it at my house many, many, many years ago. But if you Did? if you saw a screenshot today, not for long because it was, I was I, I remember this vividly. I was stuck at a part, and I remember explaining to you, I cannot get past this part, and you couldn't figure it out. I ended up figuring it out later. Like here's the hint book, and we sat and we did this. Um, one of the it was such a wonderful memory for me. I'm glad you I'm have uh, to look it up. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's a wonderful uh, memory. I don't remember it at all. It's it's. I mean, it's considered uh, an enduring classic. I mean, like I said, sixty seven thousand people have downloaded this thing on Steam, and I was on there yesterday, and it said like twenty five people are playing it at that moment. Um, yep. So I don't know if that's a lot. I mean, it's certainly not as long as someone's, but for something that's like, you know, thirty plus years old, that's a big deal. I'm looking this up right now because I need a screenshot or something just to refresh my memory. And it's all covers. Let's see here. Yeah, it seems to be highly rated uh, with everything that I'm looking at. I was just kind of curious about that. <laughs> with the female protagonist being Sophia Hapgood, you said, right? Has there, <laughs> excuse me, I apologize. Has there ever been any representation with her uh, crossing over to a, a real actress or anything like that in, in the TV shows or any of the movies or anything? No, and there's been calls for that. Like, as I said, she, the Indiana Jones, like, uh, what I guess would be referred to as the Internet Jones Internet community has long championed her as a, uh, as a, as Indy's second greatest love interest next to Marion. Um, and, I, there's been rumors many different times before Crystal Skull came out that they're going to make Fate of Atlantis. And, of course, there's been, like, you know, all kinds of actresses uh, attached to play her. But uh, unless there's a fan film out there that I'm unaware of, nothing official. Hmm. I, I'm seeing some screenshots. I'm still drawing a blank on this one. <laughs> well, I mean, Gary, we've we've done quite a few things in the 30-plus years of our friendship. Um <laughs> And we probably, uh, shortly after that, I think I discovered a little something called Duke Nukem. So, um, oh, well. yeah, the, 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 this is before the 3D shooter, which kind of like, you know, that was a, that was another level up. There was a sequel planned to Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis called Indiana Jones and the Iron Phoenix, which was announced and we saw a bunch of screenshots for it, and I was really excited. And then it was abruptly canceled because... Um, 
suddenly the use of Nazis and Nazism uh, was the Germany had come to like they they had started this marketing campaign back in the 90s to like repair their image in the eyes of the world and say we this is a long time ago we don't like this anymore and the whole story centered around once again Indiana Jones going after Nazis and they 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 scrapped the game because uh they found that Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis was a massive hit in Germany and they said, well, uh, this is, but keep in mind, Fate of Atlantis does take place before World War II, so that you don't see swastikas or anything like that. But Iron Phoenix was supposed to be right in the middle of it. Um, so they had to scrap it. But but uh, Indiana Jones and the Iron Phoenix did, the, the, all the story notes and the script they wrote for the game became a four-issue Dark Horse comic, which I actually own. Okay. I haven't got a chance to read it yet. How long have you had it? Uh, a couple of weeks. I, wanted, oh, okay. I wanted to try to read it before uh, I got to this, before the retro, but I didn't get a chance to. I found it on eBay for like $15. Oh, I thought you'd been sitting on it for like a decade or something. No, 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 no. I have, uh, Dark Horse really, they were the ones who carried Indiana Jones forward for a long time. Um, they did, I have Indiana Jones, Thunder in the Orient. Um, there's a bunch of Dark Horse comics. They're all miniseries. There was never an ongoing series for obvious reasons. You know, he's... Everything's about him, you know, the, the next archaeological dig or whatever. But dark, some of those Dark Horse comics, I mean, especially in the early 90s, when they put out those Star Wars comics and the Indiana Jones comics, they were fantastic. Some of the best comics I've ever read. Fate of Atlantis is up there, one of my favorite comic series of all time. Yeah, Indies, like I said, I, I, I enjoy the movies, but he's never been one of those things that's really, like, on my radar. And generally, it's like you're the one that draws them to my attention. But, no, it's something I'd be interested in reading. I mean, especially if it's, you know, something you have already. Well, I mean, if Dial of Destiny doesn't uh, quench that thirst for more Indiana Jones, then I, I'll tell you what, folks, for those of you, and I'm, I'm getting more and more nervous with each passing day, uh, like I was saying in the last podcast, uh, Kingdom, I don't hate Kingdom, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I that is not an endorsement and in no way shape or form should that uh, statement be twisted by anyone on this panel um, but I said that there's a, a large gap between three and four it's kind of like when you're looking at the uh, sometimes we look at those American League Central standings it's like Minnesota Cleveland or, or, or and, uh, like um, Chicago, which, Chicago yeah. <laughs> are sitting up there one two and three and, you know, like they're all within two or three games of each other. And then there's Detroit 15 games back in fourth place. That's kind of how it is with uh, – um, but I feel like I'm reading some things that just I, I hope are not true. And I don't want to say what. But it I does seem – I just – it does seem, before you get to that, it does seem that most of the people are saying that uh, Harrison Ford is fantastic in this movie. And as just like he was in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. All right, what was your idea, Matt? Are there any movies coming up in the, like the next month that you are just like chomping at the bit to see? No, they've already happened. I, the ah. Across the Spider Verse was my big one, but uh, okay, yeah. so no, uh, no Dune or another. Uh, uh, okay, see what I was going to suggest is that we all go see these movies. I'm going to go see. I'm going to go see Transformers. Oh, yeah, yeah, 
Eric can go see Indiana Jones, Dial of Destiny. You can go see whatever it would have been. And then we could just all meet at the bar immediately afterwards and just forget that it just happened. <laughs> that's a great idea. Um, that's actually quite a good idea. Uh, I like the bar idea. That sounds good. That does. I mean, even we can go see the movies. It does sound good. good. All right. I, 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 I've talked to someone who saw Transformers already and. Amazing. Four stars. We don't I mean, out of ten, maybe, but yeah. Since we're drifting off into a tangent here, uh, yeah, sorry. You know, no, it's okay. Um, there's also like I want. There's the Batman movie, which for some reason is called The Flash. Um, oh yeah, that's getting really good reviews so far. And I'm like, I I had that all wrong because I had that Flash movie that that thing's gonna be a turd, and Indiana Jones is gonna be great. I had this all wrong. Um, Maybe need to postpone India a couple times like they did with Flash. And... By the way, uh, what year is it? Michael Keaton is Batman and Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones in the movie theaters right now. What year are we in? 1991, man. We all know the answer to this one. 1989, foo. 89. Oh, I'm sorry. That was Last Crusade. Was, that's right. All three of those happened in the 80s. I thought it was 91. I found um, a an old Derek, newspaper clipping. Yeah, dude, we yeah. met by then. 89? Yeah. That would have been my sophomore year. Shut up, foo. All right. We had met by then. It wasn't, I mean, we had, we had met, it wasn't long, but we had well, met. we met that summer, I think. Is... Uh, I was, I, that was 88, but we'll, we'll figure that out later. Okay. Yeah. I found a, um, a newspaper, old newspaper. I don't know why I had the article, but on the back was the movie section. And I was looking at the movies that were in theaters in 89. It was like, all at the same time, Batman, uh, Lethal Weapon 3, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, Ghostbusters 2. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> it's like, I was like, no wonder I go to the, I, I would always go to there. And there was a couple of others. Like this was just one summer. Um, it was awesome. Uh, and I don't know you guys. Well, there's that great comment about 1994, which obviously just would have been a little bit after that, where what was in the theater at the same time, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, Forrest Gump and Jurassic Park was still left in the theaters because it was doing so well. All four of those, I think, I feel like there's a fifth one in there too, but all of them were in the theater at the same time as one another. I know those days are gone, right? I mean, you would well considering everything's a big event movie anymore that does any business at the box office. Yeah, you're right. Nobody wants to compete with each other in these things. I remember a few years ago, and I'm glad we're having this discussion. There was a movie that was coming out. I think it was with Chris Pine, but it was called Hell in High Water. Yeah. And I really wanted to see it. And it wasn't playing anywhere. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like everything was a Marvel or it was a it was a Medea comedy. <laughs> it was I was like <laughs> there is no room for je- like I mean, that's and I know like listen. I get accused of cutting on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh I have no business doing so, okay? I don't see the movies. I don't see any movies. And I had a problem. I have a severe problem. Like, I I grew up with the like. Come on, man. We grew up with the the movies in the seventies, which is considered the greatest decade for film. Were the movies that we were watching on TV growing up because they'd been in theaters already. So that was what we were watching on Saturday afternoons. And then as kids, we get Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Gremlins. And all these, the Spielberg movies and the 80s horror movies, which may be the most creative genre in movie history. And 
I just I know that if I'm gonna find a way back in the movies, it's certainly not with a big tentpole movie now or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Sure as hell ain't gonna be the DC Cinematic Universe. Um, no, but I think people have eaten too much of their dessert and they're ready for some vegetables. I think at this point in time, and I think that that's probably about it. I know we talked about this on a several podcasts or several months ago, rather on the podcast, but I think that's where we're at at this point. I think people are willing to accept that superhero movies are here. They're probably going to be here to stay because they generate so much revenue. But in terms of them being the only movies now that dominate the box office, I feel like you're going to see those numbers deflate a little bit. Right. Although I'm probably completely wrong right now, but those numbers will deflate a little bit. They won't be making as many of them. And you'll probably see a little bit more room for those like mid market comedies mid-market dramas things like that people used to go to the theater for the one movie you told me i had to go see one best picture right which was that the one that just won best picture incredibly uh what was it everything, everything ever, everywhere all, oh everything, everything ever, oh yeah everything everywhere all it was i didn't realize you meant last year um uh, yeah, yeah no. and you know it's funny when you said that i looked it up in the theaters around me and it wasn't playing anywhere i could find it on streaming and i'm yeah. like I mean, and I know, like, if I go, like, the only way I would actually be able to go and sit and watch a two-hour movie is if I go to the theater, right? Like, at home, you're not going to do it. I Actually, I'll be honest. I started watching um, The Eternals because it was a, it was a retroactive review Gary and I were going to do together that we just never got around to doing. And it was okay. And I got about halfway through, and I just never went back and finished the rest of it. Um, I actually was kind of liking it. I mean, I know people didn't really respond well to it, but I thought it was all right. Uh, but I just, it was like one of those, like, well, yeah, but you know, here's the other thing though, paralyzed by uh, paralysis of choice. Like it was okay, but I've got almost any movie I want at my fingertips. Do I really want to finish watching that? Right. And especially since I have all the other Marvel movies I should catch up on and I've somehow found one that's not great. Um, <laughs> but oddly enough, I, I did manage to catch Dungeons and Dragons uh, in the theater twice. Is it now? I heard that was absolutely fantastic. It was fun. It was a fun movie. All right. I, I, I don't want, I don't want to say like you know it was flawless as far as like special effects and all that stuff go, but it it was enjoyable. It had had a, like a good amount of humor. It had a, a, a good storyline, memorable characters, and. You know, the effects were just what it needed. You know, it wasn't over the top. It was it was it was a very well balanced fun movie. Wow, so. man, that's <laughs> who had that? Who 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 predicted that? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. All right. Guys, I'm really glad that we were able to do this Indiana Jones special. Thanks for uh indulging me on this. Um I really know that Mark would have wanted to be here for this. Uh he's he's doing well and we're all excited for him. And Phil, we hope you're doing better. Tim, thanks for the quote. Uh, I know it would have been something we would have definitely done. Uh, but let's hope that, and I know Tim has said this multiple times, that he doesn't really care if Dial of Destiny is bad as long as it does enough to get that Indiana Jones game out. And if that Indiana Jones game is great, then maybe that Dial of Destiny is worth it. Um, but I do think there's a fear that you went three epic, very memorable, classic Indiana Jones films, and now you're going to wrap it up with two... I mean, this something is somehow worse than 
Crystal Skull. I, I, I can't... I, I would feel that would be a very flaccid way for Harrison Ford to ride off into the sunset for the second time. <laughs> Both figuratively I, I this, and literally. I think this one is going to live and die on the special effects. Here's the thing. I've seen... You've seen the trailer, right? Yeah. Director, it, it, I, I, I get it in small amounts, but if, if, if they're trying to carry like entire segments of that movie with that stuff the director has stated that very very stated is like we did real stuff we didn't rely on cgi now i see those trailers and i see him jumping out of a plane that's exploding i'm like so you're telling me you had harrison Ford ten thousand feet in the air and he jumped out of a plane and exploded I, I call mean, well, shenanigans like the stuff and all that, whether it looks real or not. That is a segment I want to talk about at some point. The thing yeah. about the de-aging, all the stuff we're going to see, that is Harrison Ford. He did all of that. So when you see the de-aging, that is Harrison Ford. I don't know if I have a problem with that. Uh, but I want to tease to something I was going to bring up. There's a Star Trek video out there. That is completely made by AI through the Roddenberry um, Institute. The, for those who are not familiar, that's Gene Ampersand Barry Rod, the creator oh, of Je- Je- Star Thank Trek. Um, wow. That is completely done by AI. All right. And this ties into the Indiana Jones de aging thing. I want to talk about this on our future podcast. It is of Leonard Nimoy, as he would have appeared during the Next Generation era. And then he flashbacks to as he appeared in the motion picture era. There is no actor behind this. You have to see this video. It's frightening how accurate it is. Um, now this is a man who's been dead for almost 10 years. Uh, that's a story for another time. I'm interested. I am very interested in this whole trend. Uh, because I think the reason Disney announced the TV show is because they saw... And if you've seen the trailers... It looks like Harrison Ford that he shot. They managed to somehow piece together stuff they shot 35 years ago, and it's in this movie now. I don't know. It's pretty impressive. Um, but that being what it is, I think we've rambled on for long enough. Thank <laughs> you, guys. Is there anything else you guys want to say about Indiana Jones? Are you guys going to see the movie? No. Uh, like, probably. Yeah, I probably will see it. I don't know if I'm going to run out you know, this week, but, well, I mean, it, it, it'll... Yeah, like I said, it's one of those rites of passage. You you have to. All right. Just to collect, you know, collect them all. All right, guys. Well, let's hope that uh, Dial of Destiny isn't the end for our beloved famed archaeologist because, boy, if any character in movie history deserves to live on in other forms of media, it's Indiana Jones, and there's a lot of room for it. Uh, and if you need somewhere to start, it's Fate of Atlantis. Until next time, uh, which, uh, well... We don't know what's happening next. We'll figure it out. All right. Enjoy your uh, comics and maybe a video game or two.